We're going to come round to the Word of God now. Uh, So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to open it up with me to the book of Luke, chapter 14, and we're going to be beginning at verse 1 together this morning. And this is what it says. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked their places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may also have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat, then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friends, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all of the other guests, for all who that all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Steve up, who's going to come and bring us the word today. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the way it challenges us. Lord, even reading those words out there, Lord, I'm, I'm challenged by my own behavior and my own attitudes, Lord God. And as we open this up a little bit more today, we pray that we will hear the gentle prompting of the Holy Spirit challenging us and showing us, Lord God, how you are calling us to be, who you are calling us to be, and how you're calling us to live our lives. Be with us and bless us. May we hear your voice. Bless Steve as he comes to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Steve, over to you. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you this morning. I wonder what your last couple of weeks have been like. It's been fantastic weather the last couple of weeks as we've seen the restrictions eased so we can spend more time outdoors with people. And hasn't it been lovely to have a bank holiday free of rain? That never happens in the UK. As I said, I'm not sure what... what, uh, Life has been like for you the last two weeks. We've enjoyed having people uh, over in our garden, spending time with them again socially. And both Katie and I were brought up in in social households, families who love to entertain. This idea of hospitality is something that we have tried to emulate as we've set up our own home. So for us, this last year has been really strange. Our home has felt incredibly quiet something I'm sure you can empathize with. So why do I share this this morning? Well, our Bible reading today sets out a scene at a Sabbath dinner, a special meal in the week of any Jew. And it was common that you would invite guests to share in your Sabbath meal, especially if you had a visiting rabbi. We're told in verse 1 of our passage today, that Jesus has gone for dinner with a Pharisee. Now, this is an an unusual uh, experience. Jesus has been for for dinner with a Pharisee before. Luke tells us about it in chapter 7. And at that time, Jesus caused a bit of a stir because he had forgiven a woman of ill repute. So we see him once again accepting this dinner invitation from a Pharisee, but but not just any Pharisee. We're told he was a prominent Pharisee. Quite likely, this person is is a member of the the Sanhedrin, part of the, the ruling council that's based in Jerusalem. Clearly, this is a big deal. And as we progress through the passage... It sort of reads like Luke is presenting the the highlight reel of the evening, sort of like come dine with me, but without that uh, witty commentary. (laughs) I, I don't think that we're seeing everything that went on at the meal. It's more likely that Luke is is picking up on attitudes and behaviors that Jesus has seen in the room and wants to address. But right from the start, we get the sense that something isn't quite right. In verse 1, we see Jesus is being carefully watched. You get the feeling he's been invited for ulterior motives, that his opponents have called out the big guns. They're hoping to find something which they can use against him. 
And we see a number of issues that Jesus addresses through this passage. The first one is the issue of hypocrisy. When presented with the sick man, Jesus asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, this again is not a unique encounter. In a previous chapter, Jesus had healed a crippled woman on the Sabbath. And throughout the Gospels, we see that this is one of the common battlegrounds that Jesus is faced with when the religious leaders do battle with him. And certainly, if you looked at the, the rules and regulations of the day, it wasn't lawful. You were only allowed to heal on the Sabbath if there was a danger to life. Now, in this instance, we're not told exactly what the issue was, but it most likely could have waited until sundown, until the end of the Sabbath. Therefore, if, if in response to Jesus' question, the Pharisees had said it was lawful, they would run the risk of being labelled as soft, or worse, as potential lawbreakers. However, to say no would identify them as heartless and indifferent to the suffering of others, something which would go against the law of Moses, the command to love your neighbour. So instead, they remain silent. And it's an interesting silence. It speaks a great deal into their goals and purposes. In verse 5, Jesus replies, If it were your animal, if it were your son, you wouldn't think twice. So the Pharisees are displaying a thoroughly false standard of values. The law given by God did not forbid healing on the Sabbath but they were ready to condemn Jesus just the same. Furthermore, after Jesus heals the man, he's sent away. He's clearly not a guest at this meal. He's merely been brought in as a trap. And sadly, this incident sets the tone for the rest of the meal. Once dealing with, with their hypocrisy, the next thing Jesus looks at is their lack of humility. Even while addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus had not failed to see the invited guests were preoccupied with taking out the best seats for themselves. Now, in, in Jewish culture, the, the standard layout for dining would have been a series of benches laid out in, in, in a U-shape with a, with a table in the center. Guests would all be leaning on their left elbows, and the place of highest honour would be at the central position at the base of the U. The second and third places of honour would then have been on the left and right-hand side of the guest of honour, respectively, and, and so on and so forth. And so it would appear that at this particular meal, there was a scramble for the highest places of honour. And no doubt this was a, a learned practice from their spiritual leaders. In Matthew 23, Jesus said this of the Pharisees, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats at the synagogue. So in that sense, what these guests were doing wasn't that unusual. But in their self-exaltation, Jesus saw a root problem that had to be addressed. 
And it's not really a, a difficult message to understand. If you go into a banquet hall and you pick the best seat for yourself, then you run the risk of someone else coming in who is more important than you, and in shame, you're told to bump down the order, or, or even worse, you're told to leave. But if you go into a banquet hall and you pick the worst seat, you can imagine the honor if the, if the host comes and promotes you into a better seat. Now, this incident in itself seems quite trivial. But what Jesus seems to be concerned with is the fact that all of these people are carrying a seed of pride and of arrogance. And that's really dangerous because pride tells us we do not need God. That we are where we are on our own efforts. The very opposite of what Jesus taught and so he calls it out. But he then very quickly turns his attention from hypocrisy and humility onto hospitality. And he starts laying into his host in front of all of his guests. And I think, you know, as, as Brits, most definitely, we can see that this is a terrible breach in protocol. But the reality is that this man is not innocent either. Not only had Jesus noticed where the invited guests were sitting, but he'd also noticed who the invited guests were. And there were no poor people there. In the words of the scripture, there were no cripples. There were no blind people. There were no lame people. Even that sick man from, from verse 1 had been sent packing. They were all friends or relatives or rich neighbors. This man hadn't thrown a dinner party out of a hospitable heart, but rather to build favors and climb the social ladder. He did what he did because it would benefit him in the long run. Which is why Jesus said, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And this wasn't a new concept. Psalm 102 verse 5 says, God will, uh, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Proverbs 19:17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. But this man, this host, wasn't concerned about pleasing God or glorifying God. The man was only seeking to up his earthly social status. He had made a judgment in his heart. that There were those who could benefit him and those who could not. He'd invited those who would be able to help him and rejected the others. And Jesus saw this as an impure motive and a lack of mercy. And he called it out. So I guess if you were the, the host in this situation, you'd probably be thinking that this meal is not going particularly well. Jesus has already dealt with hypocrisy, humility, and, and lack of hospitality. But he still had one more issue to deal with. Now, as you may have noticed, I've, I've been alliterating my points, as any good preacher does. Now, by this point, I'm starting to scrape the barrel a little bit. So, so the point I go for this time is hubris. Excessive pride or self-confidence. I was quite pleased with that one. <laughs> but in, in verse 15, 
a guest decides to interject and give what at first seems to be an innocent acclamation of praise. However, it, it, it's quite hard to get a, a good gauge on this man's motives, but I sense some antagonism in his remark. In effect, the, the, this guy is, is raising his glass to toast everyone in the room and, and say, don't worry guys, we're, we're all going to heaven anyway, it doesn't matter what Jesus says. But what is clear is that the words of Jesus have not really sunk in. And in, in the reply that Jesus gives, in the, in the parable that, that he gives, Jesus doesn't really confirm one way or the other, but he challenges the sincerity of this guest's exclamation. And I don't really think that it's a coincidence that Jesus is using the example of a large banquet whilst he himself is sat at the dinner table. I think it it should have really hit home to the guests there. And in this parable, Jesus is presenting a series of people who have weak and feeble excuses not to turn up to a feast. Verse 18, a man has bought a field and wants to check it out. Now, this is, this is a, a really weak excuse. No one in those days would have bought a field without inspecting it first. Certainly could have waited. Verse 19, a man has bought five pairs of oxen and wants to go and test them out. Again, not a common practice. And even if you had bought those animals without seeing them first, that certainly could have waited till the following day. Now verse 20, Sounds, uh, you know, on, certainly to me, seems like a reasonable excuse. Man's just got married, wants to stay at home. This relates to, to, to a regulation in, in Jewish custom that said a man must stay home for a year and must not get uh, involved in military service. So this is certainly not an excuse to avoid a social contact. These are all lame excuses. It's the proverbial, I'm washing my hair. It, it doesn't reflect people who, who have, have clashing diaries, rather people who just don't want to be there. Now, it would have been, as, as it is today, a prestigious invitation to be invited to a banquet. And for the Jews in the room, it would have been unheard of for anyone to reject that invitation. So notice then the response of the host in this parable. Clearly, his desire is a full banquet hall. But when some people won't come, the search widens. Now the guest list includes the streets and the alleys of the city and those who are poor and crippled and blind and lame. But we find that even after they've come, there is still room at the table. And here the search widens even more to those outside of the city, living on the roads and the country lanes. Now these people may have been the unclean, the thief, the murderer, or worse. And yet they are invited too. Now in the parable of the wedding feast, we have to see the reference to the mission of the church. God's invitation had gone out to his people through his prophets. 
Now in Jesus, the second invitation had been given. But when the religious elite refused it, the church was to bring in both those who were within the city, the Jews, and those outside, the Gentiles. Well, that's all very well, I hear you say. But what relevance does this have today? Well, a few weeks ago, Luke encouraged us to put ourselves into the story, to see ourselves as the people that Jesus is talking to. Now, these people are not bad people. They're normal people trying to live the right way and interpret God's plan and purpose. But over time, these people, who started with all the right motivation, have become corrupted by power, by money, or by a certain lifestyle. And they're looking to fit God into their lives and not the other way around. In this chapter, Jesus is addressing various issues that are just as relevant for us today as they were then. We all have our religious rules that we live by. It might be that we always attend Sunday services, that we, we don't engage in certain activities or practices, or we stand firmly on our theological interpretation. Not in themselves bad things, but if, if in doing them we start to feel superior to others, that we have it right and they don't, we end up in a mess. We end up as hypocrites. As Christians, we're not striving for success in keeping the rules. Our primary aims are to love God and to love our neighbor. And so if this is true in our lives, how can we judge at the same time? And how about social status? This is definitely still relevant today. Whether it's, it's through getting in with the right crowd, whether it's dressing in the designer clothes, whether it's driving a fancy car, who is it that we are trying to impress? God isn't interested in those things. We clearly see the warning from Jesus about the dangers of pride and arrogance. And rather than aiming for social status, we should be looking for ways to serve. And if God wants us to serve on a larger or, or wider or higher scale, then he will take us into that higher place. And what of hospitality? Now, Jesus is not rebuking or, or forbidding our normal social lives. But Jesus reminds us there's no generosity in giving to people who can return the favor. We cannot claim to have generous hearts when we expect a return on our endeavors. And what of our hubris, our, our pride, our self-confidence? Well, this passage serves as a reminder that people are saved by responding to God's invitation, not by their own efforts or by a birthright. Conversely, it also reminds us it's equally possible to refuse God's generous invitation. And our passage this morning ends with a somber verdict on those who made their excuses, those who squandered their opportunity and would not get another. We too may resist or delay responding to God's invitation and our excuses may sound completely reasonable. 
whether it be our work, our family, our finances, our health. Nevertheless, the invitation from God is the most important you will ever receive, no matter how inconveniently it may be timed. But do you know, ultimately, what this comes down to is self-righteousness and hostility towards the gospel. It is the issue that shows up in each of these people's lives. The Pharisees were not welcoming. They did not treat Jesus as a guest of honor. It was an interrogation and a trap. They were looking for ways in which they could demean Jesus and discredit his message. And we are just as guilty of this today. Whether it's looking for an easy way out, an alternative take on the gospel message, whether it's a justification to do the bare minimum, whether it's, it's an excuse to justify our actions or our prejudice, whether it's casting judgment on people who live lives differently to us. We do it all the time. Every time we try and fit God into our lives and not our lives into God. And we end up being labeled with the same hallmarks that we have just identified. Now, I don't think it's possible to hear this message, uh, to hear this passage this morning and not be challenged by what Jesus is saying. He's calling out our self-righteous attitudes and our behaviors. He's identifying our hidden agendas and he's laying them bare before us. And reflecting on this passage has certainly challenged me. It's made me question my motives and my heart. There have been some uncomfortable truths to acknowledge. And the problem with self-righteousness is that it tells us we are good enough on our own, that we don't need Jesus, that the world will provide us with all that we need. And the problem is that often as a church, we can get so caught up in our rules and our traditions that we miss this key message. Now, if you're listening to my words this morning and you are not a Christian, I wonder if this is the reason why you've not yet seen a need for Jesus, that people have judged you, that you think that, that we're a bunch of hypocrites who think themselves better than you. Now, if that is the case, then I'm really sorry that you have experienced that. Because the heart of the gospel message is that we all fall short and that we continue to fall short. We are not perfect but we know and we trust in the one who is perfect. And maybe you're hearing me this morning and you don't see the need of Jesus in your life, that you're doing fine without him, that, that being a Christian is to be restricted by boring, outdated rules. Well, I believe the Bible makes it clear we are lost on our own that the only way to find freedom and life and hope is when we let Jesus transfer his righteousness onto us. Something that he did by taking the punishment for the rubbish in our lives, what the Bible calls sin, and went to the cross in our place. What we celebrated last weekend in Easter. So if, if either of these reflect who, who you are this morning, 
then please do get in touch with us to find out more about Jesus and what he has done for you. But maybe you are a seasoned Christian listening this morning and God is, is identifying in you a problem area in your life that he wants you to look at. Well, firstly, the good news is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is big enough and good enough to get to work on you right now if you will let him. And so my encouragement to you would be get vulnerable with God. Confess to him the thing that you want to change and then let him. We're going to worship God again in a couple of minutes. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But now is the time to respond to the invitation. No more excuses. No more putting it up. God is ready. Wherever you're watching or hearing this from today, please, can I encourage us all to stop what it is we're doing and let God reveal to us how he wants us to respond to him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you that you did not give up on us. Thank you that because of Jesus, we are welcome at your great banquet. Thank you that you promote us to the seats of honour as your sons and daughters. Father, we are sorry for our pride and self-righteousness, for the times we have not acted with love and compassion and sought our own gain over others. We open our hearts to you now. Come, Lord Jesus, take away everything that is hindering our relationship with you. Fill us with your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.